The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I am delighted today to welcome my guest, Kristen Schaefer. She is the co-author of a new publication. It's called Kids on the Front Line, How Pesticides Are Undermining the Health of Our Rural Children. Before joining the Pesticide Action Network in 1996, Kristen worked for the World Resources Institute Sustainable Agriculture Program. She has worked as communications specialist for the U.S. EPA and as an agroforestry extension officer with the Peace Corps in Kenya. Prior to becoming the program and policy director at PAN, she was PAN's campaign's department director, and she coordinated the International Persistent Organic Pollutants campaign under the Stockholm Convention for several years, as well as PAN's campaign to phase out methyl bromide under the Montreal Protocol. Kristen has been lead author on several PAN North America reports, including Chemical Trespass, Pesticides in Our Bodies and Corporate Accountability, and Nowhere to Hide, Persistent Toxic Chemicals in the U.S. Food Supply. She co-authored A Generation in Jeopardy, and she also authored several studies on methyl bromide, including a pamphlet in Spanish for farm workers on the hazards of this chemical, as well as two reports for the United Nations Environmental Program designed to help developing nations phase out this hazardous fumigant. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's great to be here. Well, I heard you speak at the Beyond Pesticides Forum in Portland, Maine this spring, and I knew that I wanted to have you on the program. And when I found out that Kids on the Frontline was going to be released, I thought, this is perfect. I have heard that for women who are living in the Midwest, especially, or in areas where there is a lot of heavy agricultural chemical use, conceiving children in the spring and early summer when those chemicals are most heavily used and found to be in our groundwater then it's more dangerous to conceive during those times. Have you read that as well? Yes, that's right. There have been some interesting studies that do look at the timing of conception, and those links are looking especially actually at birth defect outcomes. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's one study that, that looks specifically at the use of atrazine, a widely used herbicide, and found that conception during a particular window when there are spikes of atrazine use in the spring was linked very clearly with increased risk of birth defects. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved your previous report, A Generation in Jeopardy. It was published in 2012, and I use it extensively when I speak to dietitians or other people working in public health because I don't think enough emphasis is placed on the effects of these chemicals on developing bodies. And then Kids in the Frontline is really an advanced look at what's going on specifically with children living in rural communities. Tell me a little bit about the population that you focused on for this report. Absolutely. So what we did, as you mentioned, A Generation in Jeopardy, we published back in 2012. And for that report, we reviewed a couple of hundred studies. We have several scientists on staff at Pesticide Action Network, and part of what we do is kind of track the science of the health impacts of pesticide use. And so 
we've seen that there had been so much research moving forward, looking specifically at the impacts on children, and it wasn't pulled together anywhere. So that was our effort with the Generation in Jeopardy, was really look at all of these recent studies and pull them together and do some analysis of where the science is strongest. So this report is a follow-up, basically. So it's been several years. We looked at dozens of recent studies, so just that have been published since 2012, and there have been quite a few, and then also focused in specifically, as you say, on the impacts in rural agricultural communities. And so we took a look at, in addition to doing an overview of what science has been done in the last several years, we took a look at exposure pathways in four specific agricultural states that had different types of agriculture, so there would be different stories of how children in rural communities might be exposed to pesticides. So we looked in California, Iowa, Minnesota, and Hawaii. And based on what information is out there, what we know about cropping patterns, looked at what chemicals are likely to be used in rural areas where children might be exposed, and then also presented what's known about the health impacts of those types of chemicals. So sort of telling a story, taking it out of the academic journals in terms of these really powerful, wonderful studies and looking at these impacts and putting it in the context of the real world and how these kids are exposed who live in agricultural areas. And, you know, it's so interesting because we talk about, and you have this, of course, in the report about how children are more sensitive to these chemicals in their environment. Per pound body weight, they consume more air, water, and food. So any contaminants are going to be magnified. But what this report really brought forth to me was the fact that, yes, you've got children living in communities where there might be lawn chemicals used, there might be some residues on food that the parents buy, say, even at a farmer's market or a supermarket. But for these children living in rural communities, they get a double dose because they may be at a school where there are agricultural fields next door to the school. So they're sprayed and their homes are more likely to have residues in dust and air and even their tap water. So what have you found when you are comparing children living in these rural communities versus, say, in more urban areas or in suburban communities? Yeah, that's right. So that's part of the reason that we zeroed in on really looking at the children that are in these rural areas is that basically across the board, kids in all communities are exposed to some pesticides through residues on food, which the American Academy of Pediatrics say, you know, across the board, that's the primary source of exposure for kids. Now, these are usually pretty low levels of pesticides that are found on food, but that's an ongoing source of exposure. And then, as you say, pesticides that are used in people's homes, in gardens, on lawns, within a school building, for example, those are exposures that kids across the country are receiving. Now, kids in rural areas often live very near fields where agricultural chemicals are sprayed, and there's been quite a bit of evidence showing that many of these chemicals can drift and do drift into schools where they can settle into dust and, and actually in some cases stay in that environment for weeks or even months. And in addition, drift can come into neighborhoods, into homes and so on, and then as you say, also contaminate water supplies. So those exposures are all on top of that baseline exposure that, that children across the country are experiencing. So what we found, what we we looked at when we were reviewing these this last set of studies was, well, what does the science show about that? So what studies are there that look specifically at exposure of children in rural areas and what impacts 
that's having. And, and what we found is the science is really pretty strong around two childhood health outcomes in particular, and that's increased risk of childhood cancers, especially leukemia and brain tumors, which are both the fastest-growing types of childhood cancers, and then the second area is around neurodevelopmental effects, which is a, a whole range of, of impacts that ranges from increased risk of, of being on the autism spectrum or an ADHD and, and actual decreases in IQ. So those two areas are where the strongest evidence is. And what's fascinating to me in looking at the cancer studies specifically is that actually living in a rural agricultural area increases the risk of childhood leukemia. And there have also been studies that say parental exposure, either the father or the mother, preconception or during pregnancy, can also increase the risk of several types of childhood cancers. So there's something about as a child is developing in the womb that, that exposure to those chemicals can have really powerful long-term effects. Hmm. So how often are these dots being connected in rural communities? Say a child comes in and is diagnosed with ADHD, for example, or autism. How often are health departments and even local physicians at local clinics asking about exposure? And I wonder, how often are medical professionals connecting these dots? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the challenge is that, in general, there is not good data that shows when and where pesticides are used. There are a couple of states that have that pesticide use reporting program. California is one of them. And in California, even with that use reporting data, it's it's really difficult to link individual cases of the, especially these long-term chronic health outcomes right, with exposures to pesticides because it's one thing if there's an exposure to a high enough level that folks are taken to the hospital and, you know, there are those those acute level health effects. And those are not always even then, but often that can be linked back to a particular exposure. But these we're talking about really fairly low levels of exposure that folks might not even be aware of that then have effects years down the road in terms of increased risk of cancer or neurodevelopmental effects. Now, the, some of the studies that are really fascinating that are trying, helping us understand more of these long-term impacts of these low-level exposures are actually tracking families from the time a, a mother is pregnant through, it's been, I think, the Chamaco study in the Salinas area, for example, has been now 14 years where they've been, you know, they measured the level of certain types of chemicals, organophosphate pesticides, in women while they were pregnant. Mm. And then they've been tracking health outcomes among this cohort of children now for the last 14 years. And some of the most powerful data in terms of IQ reductions linked to these prenatal exposures, other neurodevelopmental effects, those are coming out of these long-term studies that can make that link. But the kind of scenario you're describing where, you know, someone comes in or and their neurodevelopmental issues with their child that's not very likely to be linked back to a specific exposure to pesticides. But again, that's part of what we're trying to do with kids on the front line is tell that bigger story and where there is data about pesticide use that, you know, kind of start to help people connect those thoughts and at least be asking the questions about, hey, what can be done to reduce that risk if it's really clear that these chemicals are increasing risk of these health outcomes 
you know, let's take steps to reduce those exposures. Let's start investing in different types of agriculture where, where we're not so dependent on these pesticides. Yeah. It seems to me, based simply on this report and the 2012 report about children in jeopardy, that we would have enough evidence right now to say, gosh, when it comes to children, let's first do no harm. Let's start incentivizing a food system or an agricultural system that produces food without these harmful chemicals or potentially harmful chemicals. And yet, from this report, I'm finding that the laws that we have in place are really inadequate. Yep, that's right. And honestly, that was one of our key findings as well as, hey, you know, the evidence just keeps getting stronger. You know, there's already a lot of strong science linking exposure to pesticides with these health outcomes back in 2012, and there's more science now showing the same thing, and we understand more about why, but really how much evidence do we need before we start taking steps to protect our children? And absolutely agree that we know plenty about the reality of these on-the-ground exposures for kids and the health outcomes that they can create. So that's a part of why we're recommending some ambitious big-picture goals, like let's set a goal to reduce the amount of pesticides we use in our system of food and farming, and that will set in motion providing incentives to farmers to shift away from these chemicals, doing more research on sustainable approaches, and we really need to invest in a different kind of agricultural system if we want to protect our children. And in the immediate short term, one of the things we're working on here in California is buffer zones around schools so that in these places where we know children are every day for hours on end, that child-harming pesticides can't be used in close proximity. And, and we're working on a, trying to push forward policies that would actually target resources for farmers who own land in those buffer zones to help them shift to safer production practices so that we can kind of use that to catalyze the shift that we need to make more broadly across the food system. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Kristen Schaefer. She is the Program and Policy Director at the Pesticide Action Network of North America, and she is co-author of the report that we're focusing on today titled Kids on the Frontline, How Pesticides Are Undermining the Health of Rural Children. Well, I'd like to go and talk a little bit more now about how we do move to change the food system. And there are thoughts that it's going to be driven by consumers. And certainly as a dietitian, I can advise consumers to choose organic food whenever possible because we've seen data looking at pesticide residues in children who have followed an organic diet versus a conventional one. And we see that it does have a great effect of lowering those pesticide metabolites in urine. But is it enough Is the consumer push enough to change the way we farm, or do we need something else? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that the consumer push is a critical part of the solution for sure. Not only does choosing organic whenever folks can help protect their own families, but it also provides that incentive for more and more farmers to be making that shift, right? The the larger the market for organic, which has been growing rapidly for the last 10, 15 years, it's the fastest growing sector of the agricultural market. The more consumers are building that market, the more farmers are going to shift to more sustainable production. But it's absolutely not enough, and, and that's part of the reason we do what we do as an organization, 
is really looking to how we can mobilize those consumers into also active citizens who really care enough to get engaged in pressing for policies at the state level or at the national level that can move that change more quickly, right? That can, we want to support additional funding for farmers so that they have the support that they need to make those shifts away from chemicals. We want to figure out how to provide more incentives for institutions to procure a certain percentage of organic produce, for example, hospitals, schools, so on. The bigger the market, the more farmers, again, are going to be able to make that shift. So it's a combination of the consumer pressure and the policy push that's going to move us in the right direction. And, you know, we are, as as we say in the report, optimistic. I think there are more folks who are concerned about food in a deeper way than I think has been true in the past. So so people are realizing that connection between what's on their plate and what's happening in those rural communities and what's happening with the farm workers in the field. I think there really is a deepening understanding in many parts of the country of the importance of our food choices, again, not only for our family's health, but for the, the health of others all along that food chain. So it's actually a really exciting moment to move forward toward the type of food system that we really, really want and need. Mm-hmm. I agree. This report is a fantastic tool, and we will provide a link to the Pesticide Action Network website where our listeners can download this report as well as others, and then we'll also have a link to the Beyond Pesticides Forum presentations where they can hear you speak on a couple of panels. One of the things that you said at the Beyond Pesticides Forum that I thought was so important for us to revisit is this corporate influence in decision-making. And I think it happens both at the federal level in D.C. where you've got lobbyists going in and talking to our representatives on a regular basis, as you discovered, but there's also corporate influence in decision-making to public health professionals, to educators. I see, for example, Crop Life America has an educational program that goes into the school district. And I see reports that come across my desk from, say, the produce industry or some of the big ag chemical industries saying, it's just a little bit. We wouldn't be able to feed the world if we didn't use these chemicals. And I just wonder how we can communicate differently to help us get through some of these conflicting messages, how do we convince people that, yes, indeed, these chemicals are harming our children? Yeah, it's a really important question. And and not only that the chemicals are harming our children, but also that alternatives are available. And there's actually quite strong science showing that agricultural systems that are not as chemical-reliant can be just as productive and, in fact, more resilient. If there are challenges with climate change, which we're going to be facing more and more, for example, that systems where there's healthy soil, where there is biodiversity actually on the farm, are much more stable and resilient than the kind of monocropping industrial agriculture that is driving this chemical dependence uh, that we've created. So that message is important, getting out, and we try through our website to really um, highlight some of the stories of agroecology and farmers that are farming successfully and and what is it that's helped them to be successful, what kind of policies have been in place that have helped them to succeed, as well as documenting the fact that their productivity is just as high, if not higher, than the industrial agriculture. But then also just, I think, shining a light on that corporate influence and pressure 
can help us shift the conversation. And I know, for example, there's a lot of evidence and documentation of the amount of money that the pesticide biotech industry, we call it the big six, although now there's some consolidation, so it'll soon be the big five or the big four, Monsanto and Bayer and Syngenta. These corporations are spending millions and millions of dollars on public relations, on spin, on websites that are reassuring people that fruits and vegetables, you know, the pesticides are really no concern. And to me, in a way, it's a sign of the success of our movement that they are now spending those kind of resources to tell their story. And the more that we can really shine a light on that spin that they're creating and and the fact that the more our story can then get out and the science, really, that is directly showing that these impacts are happening on children's health, that farm worker health is undermined, and that this different model of agriculture really does have potential to be just as productive. You know, and that's without investing very much in the research that would support organic or agroecological agriculture. So imagine if we were to actually prioritize investment and support for that type of agriculture, I think we could move in that direction much more quickly than we think. And it's a matter of public will and and making it a priority moving forward. Yeah. Well, I love that you've had experience working internationally with agroforestry and agroecological projects. And I also love that you've done work with communication because it's a perfect marriage of witnessing something but then being able to talk about it. And I love also looking at the language that we use and how it influences how we think about our food system. And I thought it was so interesting that we used to call pesticides pesticides. And now the industry uses this term called crop protection. And to me, you know, crop protection is biodiversity. It's not a chemical. And so I think shining a light, as you so perfectly said, is exactly what we need to do to make fun of some of the ways that the industry tries to dupe us into using chemicals that just have these far-reaching ripple effects. And I also liked something that you said about how we're such an individualized society. I know in nutrition and dietetics, it's so often an emphasis on, well, how is this food going to affect me? And as you mentioned, we are maturing in the way we look at the food system and we're saying, you know, it's not just about me. My food choices impact a child living in California or wherever my food is produced. So I think helping to expand how we think about our food, where it comes from, how it's produced, is also a really wonderful part of this report. I hope so, yeah. I think that broadly folks are really ready to understand more about that connection. I think there's been tremendous progress in the, I don't know if you call it the food movement, but just awareness about food and people are interested in where their food comes from and and what good food means. And the pesticide story is certainly a part of that, and, and we're definitely moving beyond the what's on my plate to you know how was this produced, where did it come from, and how is that production affected families all along the way. So we hope that, yeah, the Kids on the Front Line is a contribution to really deepening that understanding and then and then helping to motivate folks to get even more engaged in both through their food choices and through how they get involved in making change in their community and their state and even at the national level to push us forward to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Kristen, you know, I've been asking all the questions and I want to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about what surprised you, 
you know, when you were putting together this incredible report, so heavily referenced and researched, were there things that jumped out at you that you want to bring forth to our listeners? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I think a couple things I would lift up. One of the things that was really interesting to me was looking at the studies and data around rural children more broadly. And one of the things that we lift up is the fact that in addition to being, you know, having these double-dose exposure to chemicals if they live in agricultural areas, that oftentimes rural kids are facing other economic stressors that maybe, you know, poverty levels tend to be a little higher in rural areas. Access to health care can be more difficult. So again, it's so that was interesting to me just to think that we're, these children who are already vulnerable are then facing these additional exposures to pesticides. And then the other thing that I would hold up just kind of generally about the science when we took, and I'm not a scientist, again, I worked with our scientists to do these reviews and do the analysis, but what was striking is that there were many what they call meta-analyses, that there are lots of studies in the last few years where researchers are looking at 12 studies at a time on the links between pesticides and childhood cancers and pulling out kind of where what they can say about patterns and findings based on these meta-analyses. And that was true around cancer studies. It was also true around the neurodevelopmental effects. And what it says to us is that there's this really growing body of evidence that's now over a couple of decades where researchers have been looking at these connections and the evidence is just really strong. I mean, in every case for these meta-analyses, they're finding that, you know, yes, sure enough, you know, out of all of these studies, the, the vast majority of them are finding a strong link between these pesticides and these childhood health outcomes. So those are a couple of things that I think I would hold up as surprising and interesting in working with our scientists to pull the study together. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what jumped off the page to me, and that was the figure that you have looking at childhood health harms being on the rise. Mm-hmm. And You know, you wonder, is it just me that's seeing more billboards advertising children's cancer treatment centers? And then autism, we see the rates growing, and then here you've got this report showing that, no, it's not your imagination. Actually, these rates are rising, and isn't it time that we intervened? Yep. Yep, no, that's absolutely right. And, I mean, one of the things around the childhood cancer, which, you know, having had friends who have gone through that, it's like no child should be. <laughs> Survival rates are higher, which is a wonderful thing. You know, treatments have improved and so on. But what a terrible thing for a family to go through. So one of the things that was really striking, again, in looking at the the trend data in combination with the studies around pesticides and the link to the health outcome is that the two types of cancers, that childhood cancers that are rising most quickly by far leukemia and brain tumors are also the two that have the most evidence linking them to chemical exposures. So, and again, we can't make the direct link because those studies, you know, it's difficult to track when the exposure happens and so on. But but just looking at those two facts next to each other, I think, is motivation to make the changes we need to make, especially since, as I said, the solutions are there. We can make the shift to a type of agriculture that is using fewer chemicals. So that was especially striking to me as well. 
Well, Kristen, I want to thank you very much for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We have been speaking with Ms. Kristen Schaefer. She is a program and policy director for the Pesticide Action Network of North America and co-author of a terrific new report, Kids on the Frontline, How Pesticides Are Undermining the Health of Rural Children. Kristen, thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much, Melinda.